Hello, and welcome to the Blockade Runner podcast number 186. My name is John. Joining me this afternoon is Ryan. What's up, Ryan? Hello. Uh, Boy, we took a week off, and um, I feel like a lot of things happened um, in that week off. There's a lot to talk about, so we're going to talk about a few kind of uh, news items slash Star Wars actor interviews and uh, some interesting things that have come out of that. And um, we have two Bad Batch episodes to talk about um, as a result of our taking a week off. So yeah, we've got two Bad Batch episodes to cover. uh, Lots to get into. Um, Before we jump into our news stories, Ryan, I got most of, if not all of my retro collection Mandalorian toys in the mail. I think you did too, right? Uh, yeah, uh, one at a time, um, over the course of like three or four days, uh, which, you know, Amazon always environmentally responsible. (laughs) Yeah. So I have a, uh, Mandalorian. I have a grief carga. I have a, Mm -hmm. uh, IG 11, a Moff Gideon. And, uh, of course the quill that we talked about uh, a week or two ago. So, is that the whole line? Am I, uh, I just like, am happy when I open a box and there's something in there, but I'm assuming the, the boxes have stopped coming. So is that, yeah. is that everybody? Um, well, there's a Caradoon. Oh, okay. They could hold on to that one. Probably. Yeah, That's fine. They can have it. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. I, no, it, I, it'll ship. Right. I'm sure. Yeah. I, well, I mean, I canceled my pre-order of that one. Um, oh really? Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll have something you don't have. Then. Congratulations <laughs> on that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, they're they are uh, they're very cool. Um mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. as we said before, I am uh I'm looking forward to uh hopefully more announcements um of retro collection figures from other Star Wars shows yeah. and movies and things like that. Yeah, I want to give a special shout out to the Moff Gideon figure, um, mm. which I think is my favorite. Okay. Um, I love the uh, the you know the the cape mm. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. just like a you know like a piece of plastic wrapped around him, um, but also the dark saber is like so hilarious. <laughs> it's just like a gray stick. Oh my god! <laughs> and uh i love it i i i love it a lot yeah that is really cool um oh you know what uh they say right on the back which figures are part of this line so caradune and uh remnant trooper as well uh i don't have either of those Mm. so and the child the child has a retro figure apparently so we should have a couple more coming eventually oh okay i don't know if assuming i ordered them all i think i would have um, I don't know, but those are listed on the back. I actually, I haven't opened IG 11 or Moff Gideon yet. Uh, so I, I will do that, but I just haven't gotten to it. So this is my first time noticing that gray piece of plastic that is meant <laughs> to be the dark saber. That is hilarious. Mm-hmm. Hey, you could have said it's his, uh, Imperial baton. And I would have believed you cause that's yeah. what it looks like. That's funny. Nice. All right. Well, we better get into all of this uh, stuff that's happening with Star Wars. This might be the most recent story, but I had to put it in here because we're both uh, fans of the Tales from Vader's Castle series. Mm. I'm actually looking at a framed poster um, of uh, Tales from Vader's Castle that I have here in my office. Um, 
they announced a uh, another, I think, one shot, right? Like a, I didn't see really too many details on this, but uh, I think they've transitioned away from like a four issue, you know, one issue a week Vader's Castle uh, set up to just doing like a larger issue with a few different stories in it. So um, there is a another installment, let's say. Um, since I don't have the details on exactly uh, how many pages. I, well, I'll just, I'll just stop you. It's five issues. You're kidding. No, no yeah. way. Where did way, you find this way. info? And why didn't you share it with me, brother? <laughs> Sorry. I, I, I didn't get to the notes in time. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a five issue mini series. Okay. All right. Yeah, well then um, starting um, in September. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I was uh, super wrong about that then, and I'm glad to be because it's uh, more content then. That's cool. Yeah. Because, um, um, but last year they just did like the single, like, I think it was like seven or eight bucks issue. Am I remembering yeah. that correctly? It was just like, it was just one kind of like oversized issue. Yeah, I think so. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I just saw uh, Michael Siglane. Um, who kind of oversees Star Wars publishing efforts. Mm -hmm. Um, I saw him tweet about it, but he didn't really get into details. So um, it looks to be a lot of fun, though. I have uh, Mm -hmm. a couple images here, uh, one with Anakin and Padme and Jar Jar and R2 (laughs) and C-3PO in a uh, Dawn of the Droids uh, spoof or or Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, Dawn of the Dead spoof uh, title Mm -hmm. anyway. Mm -hmm. So maybe a zombie type uh, story there. So that's a fun idea. Another one with a, it looks like a possessed Chewbacca and uh, Jackson, the bunny rabbit. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and I think there were, I think later in the day, I saw a couple of other images popping around that I didn't actually include in the notes, but um, just more Halloween themed Star Wars goodness from IDW. I think it's super fun. Cannot wait. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In huh? the, uh, in the Star Wars.com blog post, um, uh is it yeah kevin scott um i tell i'm so used to like talking about kevin scott in terms of high republic stuff i'm like wait he writes this too mm-hmm. um but yeah he uh he actually mentioned um that it was like you know just th- naming that it's inspired by like the old ec comics so Actually, that was Michael Siglane who said that. Never mind. But, um, but the, it's just cool to see um, the you know EC Comics getting a shout out because those are wonderful. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. I guess um, that's a lesson for me. Um, check StarWars.com when because mm. I'm like, oh wow, this is cool to know about the Ghost of Vader's Castle, but uh, I wish I knew more about it. Probably mm-hmm. could have checked StarWars.com. That would have been a thing to yeah, do. Yeah, for all of your Star Wars needs. Mm. Well, you say all of your Star Wars needs, but uh, sometimes we need to check the AV Club website for mm. uh, Star Wars information, such as the uh, wonderful interview with Leslie Headland that um, was posted uh, earlier this week and, um, you know, kind of uh, generated some some discussion in the Star Wars uh online discourse, uh, mostly positive, but, uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um, Ryan, you, uh, were, were interested in discussing this, um, 
this piece on Leslie Headland, and I know earlier in the week you were pretty excited about it. So I'll let you take the lead here on discussing this uh, Leslie Headland piece from AV Club, which of course we'll link to in the show notes. Yeah, I mean, I really think it's just something um, worth reading um, to kind of, for me, um, you know, it. it's always just cool to see where, um, you know, leads showrunners are kind of coming from or directors writers like kind of especially when they're new to the franchise new to Mm -hmm. working on the franchise it's just cool to see where they're coming from um and you know their their background um and you know their kind of like star wars journey um you know on going from being a fan to a creator and um so yeah i think she's just really smart and thoughtful and um i think she has like a kind of unique perspective um on and she just thinks about star wars in you know a different way than i think a lot of the other you know main directors writers showrunners kind of do and so yeah i think that was kind of like my biggest takeaway from it um and you know her being like really committed to diversity and just like naming that out front um in you know her kind of vision for the for the series um and yeah i just i thought it was just a really great read Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were a few things that, uh, you know, stood out to me as being really interesting. Um, the discussion of diversity and the storytelling and uh, specifically including kind of like uh, LGBTQ uh, plus characters in the stories mm-hmm. uh, or in her storytelling. You know, she talked about that and, and uh, talked about the characters that, um, you know, she identifies with in Star Wars and other kinds of stories and um, obviously wanting to... Um, include those kinds of characters in the stories that she tells within the Star Wars universe, but also the importance, um, which I think you mentioned of, um, you know, having representation uh, behind the camera and that being maybe even more important or just as important. So that was cool um, and pretty interesting. I also thought it was really interesting when she was talking about her writer's room and putting that Mm. together and wanting that to be diverse. um, Maybe, you know, not in the way that we (laughs) um, might, you know, commonly think of the the concept of diversity, but she was basically saying like, I want it to be diverse in the sense that like not everybody in there agrees with me on everything or not everybody in there is like just coming from it, coming at it from the same kind of perspective Mm -hmm. uh, that I have. Um, And even talked about, you know, um, interviewing writers who know nothing about Star Wars and haven't even seen Star Wars necessarily. Um, and that being, I I don't think she goes so far as to say like, yeah, I hired people like that necessarily, Mm -hmm. but she talks about like, you know, um, the possibility of that and that potentially not being such a bad thing. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I thought that was great. Uh, something that I'm not super into, but she does touch on is star Wars RPGs. So, Mm -hmm. uh, and I thought that was just kind of, I don't know. I mean, I guess it's not because Pablo Hidalgo uh, talks a lot about the Star Wars RPGs and things, and they were big in the 80s, which is, you know, pretty um, soon after Star Wars, you know, began or whatever. But um, one of the things I kind of was picking up on or or just noticing throughout this interview is just um, 
her perspective being a little different or the way she talks about Star Wars being a little different, I guess, because she's a little younger than most of the people who have made Star Wars so far, you know, because mm-hmm. um, even like a JJ or a, uh, Ryan Johnson or um, really, I mean, most of the people who worked on Mandalorian, they all seem to be kind of like mid 40s and up, um, mm-hmm. it feels like, you know, so this is someone who's maybe not like way younger than that, but just feels like she's like from a generation uh, after like the generation that typically makes Star Wars stuff. So yeah, I think that'll, that'll result in, in some interesting, um, you know, kind of flavors being brought to uh, her version of Star Wars too. Um, and then the last thing I just have to touch on for sure, uh, the final kind of question and answer in the interview um, her talking about how um, she is hoping that, um, you know, people will uh, be able to come away with different things from her Star Wars or from her show, I guess you'd say. Um, mm-hmm. And that like some of it will be open to interpretation. Um, and her she's, she says that her goal would be to create something that people can interpret in a couple of different ways, as opposed to there being one right way to love or consume a Star Wars product. Um, so I thought that was, that was great. That, uh, that excites me. That's mm-hmm. the kind of thing that, you know, uh, the kind of, I guess, creative outlook that, uh, that would be exciting to me versus, you know, telling a, a real, uh, straightforward kind of, um, obvious sort of story. Yeah. And I mean, even, <laughs> even when Star Wars creators tell a straightforward, obvious story, uh, it still can be interpreted in a lot of different ways. Um, and is, (laughs) yeah, yeah, that's true. I suppose. Yeah. Um, and kind of on that subject, uh, I love how she kind of closes, um, this, this out where she, I'm just going to quote from the article here. Um, she says, I mean, it's funny because a lot of the feedback that I'll get, and I use the term feedback very lightly, but when I do go on social media, the feedback is don't make Star Wars political. Yeah. I'm like, George Lucas made it political. Those are political films. War is by nature political. That's just what's up. So I, you know, I think that's something, you know, we've always kind of said um, on this show as, you know, the, uh, you know, the past five years of um, a kind of bad faith uh Star Wars discourse has been, you know, that there's like, you know, social justice warriors at Disney who are trying to, I don't know, brainwash people into their gay socialist agenda or whatever. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But like, no, like these movies have like been based on reality and our world and the events in our world and the and American politics, I mean, from the OT to the prequels. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think like that's cool that she's just kind of like calling that kind of disingenuous stuff out right now and you know, just letting people know, like, yep, that's what Star Wars is, and my show's gonna have some of that, yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, cool. Well, we talked about a lot of that uh, article, but I think, um, as you said, Ryan, everybody should check that mm-hmm. out if you, if you haven't yet. It's really good. 
um, and uh, certainly made me excited for the Acolyte. Um, saw some rumors this week. I didn't put them in the show notes because I don't know if I believe them or not, but saw some rumors um, suggesting the show is going to film uh, starting next February. Mm. So, um, I mean, that makes sense, but uh, I didn't really see when I read about it. I did not see a source for this information. It was just like, oh, the show's going to film in February. And it's like, according to what? So, I don't know. But um, that makes sense that that it would be, uh, I mean, she talks about having a writer's room now and things like that. So, I'm sure, um, you know, that would be a, a, you know pretty logical for it to be happening um, as soon as early next year. So, I guess that's still a long ways off, but um, but it, the ball is rolling, and, and I'm uh, very much looking forward to that show. So, yeah. Okay, we also wanted to talk about Amelia Clark, who has been in the Star Wars news uh, conversation this week. Um, kind of a continuation of, of uh, you know, um, some previous comments she had made about Kira reappearing. Um, but she has a comic book coming out, which I did not know about. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I was looking at this Hollywood Reporter article. Um, that is largely about her comic book that's on the way. It's called uh, Mother of Madness um, and coming from Image Comics. Ryan, you're the comics guy. Have you been tracking this at all or uh, you have thoughts on the comic itself? You know, um, I have not checked it out. I am I am curious. Um, yeah, it might be something that I check out when it hits trades. Mm, okay. Yeah, cool that she's uh, writing a comic, though. I had no mm-hmm. idea that that was an interest of hers. But uh, so that's something to look forward to, as you say, or keep an eye on. Um, but uh, of course, the topic of Kira came up in the interview. The uh, author of the interview actually advanced a theory of his that uh, Kira is the one who alerted and nest to the train heist situation happening Um in, uh, I guess, kind of early in Solo, maybe, what, end of the first act of uh, Solo, A Star Wars Story. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Kira sort of, or not Kira, <laughs> Amelia Clark sort of says, well, I didn't really think about it that way, or I wasn't playing it that way when we were uh, doing the scene, but it's an interesting idea. Um, however, she then goes to talk about kind of her relationship with uh, Dryden and how um, Han showing up would have been a slap in the face to her to sort of wake her up and remind her that she had a whole, like an entirely different life and she used to be a completely different person. Um, so that was interesting that that's the kind of perspective she's, uh, discussing things from, but of course the topic turns to like, Hey, you know, um, would you do, do you want to do more care or would you want to come back for that? Or, you know, that sort of thing. And, um, you know, she, uh, this quote I saw going around a lot. Uh, she says, I really had pages about what her life was and what it would be afterwards. I'm afraid I've heard nothing uh, from Disney Plus uh, 
being the case. So maybe I'll just write it and send it to them. I'll be like, Hey guys, I've got a few ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah. What's your take on this, Ryan? Um, you know, I think that, I mean, for me, I can just speak personally, like, you know, um, I, I was so excited, um, to see Kira back in the pages of War of the Bounty Hunters to see that character kind of come back and, um, you know, us to be able to follow up, um, with, you know, what she's up to after Solo. Um, and, you know, the reason I was so excited about that is because I think she was uh, a really fascinating character in um, in the film, um, just as from like, a, you know, just as a person, she's really fascinating. And I think the um, the most wanted young adult novel um also i think like added some additional layers of depth to her and so like yeah you have this like really really interesting and complicated character um that you know just was kind of just put on the back burner um and yeah so i'm really excited that she's like back in the comics at least um but of course, I would love to see, um, you know, Amelia Clark playing her on big or small screen um, in some capacity. And, you know, the fact that she's like, she's really interested in doing this. Like, she has ideas. She's, you know, committed to this character. She thinks there's, um, you know, unfinished business with this character. Like it, you you don't always have people that willing to return to Star Wars, um, especially, you know, coming off of a Star Wars project that maybe wasn't as successful um, or, you know, and to have, you know, an actor of her caliber being like, yeah, I want to come back and do more of this. Like it, it's seems like a like a no-brainer for them to be like fast-tracking this at disney um and obviously that's not exactly the way things work um but you know like the all the pieces are there like there's still story to tell with this character uh you know she's a character that i think is pretty much universally liked by the fan base um you know which is pretty rare. Um, and yeah. And you have the actor wanting to, you know, revisit that role. So yeah, if, I would love to see it happen. I think it's, um, and we, we just kind of talked about this not too long ago, so I'll, I'll be brief about this, but I think it's fairly likely, um, at some point. And, uh, you know, I think they have their hands full with like sort of the first wave of uh, Disney plus star Wars shows that they're, that they're putting together here, but uh, I could easily see something, uh, Kira Crimson Dawn, um, solo spinoff related, um, as part of the second, you know, or the next kind of wave of shows. But, uh, we've got a lot of, um, you know, unproduced shows that are still, you know, uh, in early stages right now. So I think they'll, they'll want to, you know, push through those and Mm kind of get, get that stuff done. Um, 
but then they'll want to announce new things too, or they'll want to develop and, and produce new things too. So, uh, yeah, I could absolutely see it. Um, and, uh, you never know, like there might be opportunities for her to pop up in like the Lando show or something like that. And then that could, you know, um, develop out into something else. So we'll see how it all shakes out, but, uh, I would be, I'd be surprised not to see her back, not to see, uh, Donald Glover back and hopefully Alden Ehrenreich in some capacity too, uh, down the road. But I do think it'll be a little bit, you know, it's going to be a while. So, Mm. um, but you know, ideally it'll be that much more exciting if, and when it does happen, um, because of a little bit of a, a wait for that all to go down. All right. So those are kind of the, the new developments or I guess the, uh, the kind of discussion points in, in, in Star Wars world the last week or two. Uh, so we're going to turn our attention here for the rest of the episode to the Bad Batch, of course. And uh, like I said, we've been away from um, discussing Bad Batch here for about two weeks. So we have two episodes to talk about. Um, episode eight, Reunion, and then also episode nine, uh, which just aired today called Bounty Lost. Um, we also have uh, some comments from uh, our buddy in Japan, Dave Hackerson, on uh, episode seven and eight. So we'll talk about those as well. Um, briefly, before we get into the specific episodes, uh, Ryan, mm-hmm. uh, I was going to mention that there was a Bad Batch mid-season sneak peek um, trailer that came out uh, a few days ago. Did you happen to catch that? I did not, no. Okay. Um, it's only a minute long or so, and uh, it features um, kind of some greatest hits from the first half of the season, um, and then uh, a smattering of shots from uh, episodes we haven't seen yet, or um, really it was episodes we hadn't seen yet until today, because there's um, there's a bit of footage from, from episode nine, which aired today, um, including the uh, shot of Omega knocking the tank over on Fennec Shand um, that was in there and a couple other shots from today's episode. And there's a a few shots um, from episodes that haven't aired yet, I think, but uh, it it didn't reveal too much. Um, You know, I'm sure if I was, uh, you know, uh, uh, a little more knowledgeable about the Bad Batch or like a little bit more of an expert on that kind of stuff, Star Wars animation, I might have spotted a few things that I uh, that I hadn't you know, so far watching it, Mm. but it's not like a big groundbreaking trailer or anything like that. It's, it's kind of, uh, I I would say the, the argument the trailer is making is like, Hey, bad batch is really cool. And it's on Disney plus. So if you haven't been (laughs) watching it, you could catch up right now because we're halfway done. That's, it's that kind of trailer more so than like, you know, we're going to hype you up about something you don't know anything about. It's, uh, Mm. it's very much a, have you been missing the Bad Batch? Have you not been watching it on Disney Plus with your Disney Plus subscription? You should do mm. that. It's that kind of 
that kind of trailer. But uh, uh, like I said, it was probably a little more exciting before today um, when a lot of the new stuff that's in there aired in episode nine. But uh, I will link to it in the show notes for you Bad Batch completists who may have missed it. Um, and the other thing that I'm just going to mention, uh, unless you wanted to get into it, Ryan, is an interview from StarWars.com with Jennifer Corbett, who is the head writer on Bad Batch. Um, did you happen to catch this one? I did not. Oh, okay. Well, that'll be a little homework for you after we mm. record record the episode. Um, if you enjoy Bad Batch enough to want to go read the interview with Jennifer Corbett, I'm not sure. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's, it is interesting and it's pretty lengthy. Um, and uh, she talks about some of the inspiration for, for the show, um, talks about her time uh, or her experience um, writing for the show NCIS, um, which she was a writer on that show, talks about writing for Star Wars Resistance and uh, her uh, kind of mentorship from Dave Filoni, of course, um, and also her experience um, in the Navy and uh, how that kind of informs her writing um, about these characters in the military, or I guess uh, formerly in the military in the Bad Batch. So hmm. um, yeah, it's a, it's a lengthy piece as far as StarWars.com um, articles go and uh, a lot of good stuff in there. So um, definitely go check that one out if you want to know more about the creative team behind the Bad Batch. All right, let's get into... Uh, the two episodes that we're, we're going to discuss today, first one, episode eight, Reunion. I think we'll talk about this one, Ryan, then uh, maybe jump into Dave's comments and then wrap up by discussing today's episode. Um, so, uh, boy, it's, uh, it's hard to remember back uh, seven or eight days ago to what your um, response or reaction was to reunion. But I think if I'm remembering correctly, <laughs> I was like super excited about this one and you mm. were, uh, pretty into it or you enjoyed it, but, uh, maybe not to the level I did. Is that, uh, does that sound accurate? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I would say I probably didn't enjoy it to the level that most people did. <laughs> um, cause uh, with, you know, after I watched the episode and, um, you know, at, uh, 6 a.m. when I went on Twitter and people were already spoiling stuff because um, <laughs> welcome to now. Um, yeah, people were insanely hyped um, for it and I had a more muted response, but I think it's more just kind of um, in inevitably muted response um, because, uh, you know, just uh, parts of Star Wars that I don't like as much as other people, which everyone has those (laughs) we all we all don't like the same i mean star wars is so you know vast and uh uh you know has so many parts to it um we i don't know anyone who likes every single one of those parts and uh for me i would say kind of i don't know if it's considered like a i don't know blind spot isn't quite the right term but um just an aspect of Star Wars that I don't like as much is the Western aspect. And uh, these yeah. two episodes have a whole lot of Western stuff in them, um, thanks to the um, arrival of Cad Bane, um, mm-hmm. who is uh, 
apparently, as I'm finding out, a really beloved character, um, which I kind of knew, but like also when it comes to like Clone Wars stuff, like I'm so used to like, you know, everyone just like loves everything. And so like, it's really hard for me to tell like, you know, what are the things that like really actually resonate with people? And what are the things that you just like love this because it's Clone Wars? And uh, no, Cad Bane is something that really resonates with people and they really love that dude. And uh, yeah, I think he's kind of cheesy myself. So um, yeah, I'm just, yeah, I'm not like, I don't like Western films uh, or TV shows or video games or anything. I don't like the old West or the romanticizing of that or hate John Wayne, uh, etc. And uh, yeah, cowboy hats, another thing not super into. Um, but, you know, this is all just kind of like, you know, the aesthetic of it. And uh, he's just like that character is just so deeply entrenched in that uh aesthetic from like the the hat to the the drawl um Mm -hmm. to the uh the you know variations of a theme on a theme of like the music um and everything that it just it just comes across as like really cheesy to me um Mm -hmm. but also like people really like that and so that's cool it is just not something that really resonates with me and so you know him being kind of like the big reveal of episode eight wasn't terribly exciting to me and like you know he played a pretty prominent role um in episode nine but i would argue that he kind of you know as an antagonist kind of took a backseat to some of the other characters in that episode. So it was, Mm. it felt less, his presence felt less egregious in episode nine. So I kind of liked episode nine better. Oh, okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I liked both of them, but uh, I can see, I mean, I think part of, well, uh, maybe I played a small role in, uh, in your disappointment with Cad Bane showing up at the end of episode eight, because I had, um, shared out some tweets and I guess you probably would have seen them anyways, but I shared out oh, some yeah. tweets. Yeah. From, or so I guess we'll blame these star Wars creatives, but there were a couple of, uh, uh, voices at Lucasfilm who were tweeting the day before the episode came out being like, essentially hyping, hyping us up for someone Oh, that character shows up or what, you know, something, those kinds of things. Like basically, mm-hmm. you know, be hyped for a big reveal. Someone's going to show up. This episode has someone in it, you know, that kind of thing. And, uh, uh, I certainly did not anticipate that the per the character they might be hyping me up for is Cad Bane. Um, but then again, you know, I'm not part of that like Clone Wars generation and I'm mm-hmm. not somebody who's like super into Clone Wars. I like it, but I'm not super into it. So, um, I think for a whole demographic of the Star Wars, you know, fan fandom, mm-hmm. um, that is a huge, you know, huge moment. And, uh, you know, you had referenced like, do people love Cad Bane or do they just love stuff that's from Clone Wars? And it's a weird thing to say about a show that is basically a continuation of the Clone Wars. But, um, I think even to me, who's someone who has only watched every episode of the Clone Wars once, you know, I've seen a few more than once, but mostly I've just Mm -hmm. watched the show one time. Um, even for some, and, and I'm not a giant fan, but even for somebody like, like me, it was like, 
whoa, this is like, you know, a whole different era of Star Wars and they're bringing it back. You know, it, it just felt like a, it did feel like a, validation is not the right word, but it, it just felt like a, um, it, just taking something from that Clone Wars era and bringing it in now, it just, I don't know, kind of the way that, that I think a lot of us wanted to feel like hoping there would be like big time prequel stuff in the sequels. If we love the prequel era, uh-huh. you know, like anytime you got a little prequel thing in the sequels, it would be really exciting. It didn't happen very much. Um, but there's a reason we came out of the last Jedi being like, he said, Darth Sidious, you know, yeah. because it was like, <laughs> Oh, that's from my star Wars. You know what I mean? That's from the star Wars. I obsessed over when I was 16 years old or whatever it was. Right. So I think there's, there's part of that in there. And, uh, and it actually worked on me too, even though I'm not really that that target demographic. I guess is the the point I'm making here. Um, I do like the character. I like all the cheesy things about him that you mentioned. The uh, toothpick mm. he's always chewing on, and mm. uh, you know, I don't I don't think I like him quite as much as Hondo Onaka, but mm-hmm. uh, he is mm-hmm. he is a a memorable character for me for sure from uh, from the Clone Wars. So I was pretty excited to see him pop up, and I also think it just you know, um, even if we didn't know anything about Cad Bane, uh, it's a moment in the story of season one here where things kind of escalate um, in a way and the stakes are increased. And and so it's just kind of a big moment in that regard mm-hmm. um, because the, ep- the episode does end with Omega, you know, being captured and um, and kidnapped by Cad Bane. So that's, mm-hmm. you know, a big deal and uh, something that, that kind of... Um, uh, it excited me, made me nervous for Omega a little bit. And it was just like a, it just was a, a you know, a big moment, uh, a big kind of impactful moment here um, at the end of episode eight. So I think that was one of the reasons I was uh, pretty into this episode as well. Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's interesting Um because I've I've been like neck deep in all this like War of the Bounty Hunters nonsense. Um, mm. I've been all in. So like basically every week I read like a new issue of that story um, mm-hmm. because with all the spinoffs and everything. Um, so like I'm already like pretty like, you know, I have like, <laughs> you know, Bounty Hunters uh you know, fighting with each other kind of like top of mind. So like it, I don't, I don't know if like redundant is the right word, but it's maybe just like, you know, a coincidence or something. Um, How, especially in episode nine, how kind of like similar um, that, like the confrontation between Fennec Shand and uh, um, Cad Bane felt. Uh, because it's like, you know, you could have like swapped those characters with like, I don't know, like Bosk and Dengar in like War of the Bounty Hunters. And it's like yeah. this the same exact kind of conflict um, and their yeah. dialogue probably would have been like the same. Like, oh, it's, it was my bounty first. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm just here for the paycheck. Uh, uh, <laughs> bounty Hunter stuff. <laughs> um <laughs> But uh, yeah, so it's like, uh, I don't know. I think that's, it's like just kind of like another thing that's just not really like feeling very fresh uh, with me right now. Um, And I mean, we also just like, maybe not 
so much in the second season, but first season of Mando especially was like way into like the bounty hunter world um, kind of thing. So um, yeah, there's just been like a lot of that <laughs> lately. Yeah. And it's, it's more of like, it, this isn't really even like a complaint. Cause like, I don't like completely dislike it or something, but it's just like, there's just a lot of that happening in star Wars right now. <laughs> a lot of bounty hunter stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely true. That that's true. We'll we'll talk about the uh, showdown with um, Cad Bane and and Fennec Shand when we get to right, episode nine right. here in a little bit. Because I do have some thoughts on that as far as the bounty hunter stuff goes. Um, but uh, I think the other two things that are really interesting about this um, episode, episode eight, uh, are the continuation of this conflict between the Kaminoans and uh, the Empire over, mm-hmm. you know, sort of like what Clone Force 99 um, is to them and and what value it has or doesn't have and what they want to see happen with it. So um, there is um, continued tension between the Kaminoans and Rampart um, uh, over, you know, Clone Force 99 because the Kaminoans are like, hey, they're pretty valuable. Like, they're kind of special. We've made a lot of clones, but these ones are some of the best clones. You know, like, they're more valuable than just any other clone. And Rampart's like, yeah, I don't care about him. I want him dead, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that conflict there, which is like, uh, I mean, as we see in episode nine, not all Kaminoans are the same or, or you know, we, they don't all have the same, uh, we shouldn't interpret them all the same. You know, we find out in episode nine and, you know, kind of knew before that too. But um, it, it's it's interesting to see like how uh, they feel about the clones who, you know, they created and who they understand in a way that the empire doesn't have any interest in understanding, you know, um, the empire used them now that they don't have as much use for them or they think they can do better. They just want to discard them. And, uh, you know, the Kaminoans, I suppose are not, uh, I was thinking about it. It's like, cause we have a heel turn, like a major heel turn from one of the Kaminoans, mm-hmm. um, or a, a reveal, I guess, of what kind of person or kind of character this is in episode nine. But, you know, I kind of always liked the Kaminoans, you know what I mean? They say, well, no, about them is said, Dad, Tom, we's here, which is one of my favorite lines in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I don't know. They're they're kind of maternal uh, and just sort of like comforting a little bit, you know what I mean? And I just like the Kaminoans. But you think about it a little more and you're like, well, what do they do? They clone human beings to make a an army for a, an empire. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I guess for a Republic, but you know, it's like <laughs> whatever. Uh, so yeah, they're not, uh, uh, I don't know. They're, they're not probably the most, uh, idealistic kind of group of characters or anything, but, uh, I always kind of like the Kaminoans and, um, and, and now, you know, it's just interesting to see that they're kind of adding some different layers to them and, mm-hmm. uh, and and adding some more depth to that concept of of those characters in in this episode and then of course more in episode 9. Yeah, I I I guess I would say I like those characters, but I don't like their moral character. <laughs> yeah, that's a way more succinct way of saying <laughs> what I was trying to say there. Yeah, no, that's totally true. Um uh, yeah, cuz I even same yeah but even then though like some of them have better moral character than others you know as we're seeing 
Yeah, but they're still complicit in some pretty bad stuff. I mean, but it's not... Well, it's it's weird, though, because, like, this is where, you know, I'm always, like, interested in, uh uh-oh, the politics of the galaxy. Um, Whereas, like, you know, when we talk about, um, like, slavery in the Republic... And it's like, okay, well, technically s- slavery is illegal, but it still happens and the Republic doesn't do anything about it. And then it's like, here, it's like, well, is is cloning legal? Like, obviously, because they, uh, um, you know, they have, they're doing it for the literal, like, government. <laughs> um, so, and, you know, and it's like, pretty pretty well known um what's happening um among the populace so it's yeah it would it'll be interesting if we see a challenge to the concept of cloning um in star wars i don't know if that's going to happen in the bad batch um i think it could because they're kind of going deep on this stuff um or if it will happen in like another another project but i think it's one of those things that's like i mean i wasn't really thinking about um when i you know watched attack of the clones uh almost 20 years ago um but uh you know now that you know star wars has we've we've grown up stars has gotten more nuanced and you know will kind of like discuss some of these things um i think that's like actually like a really interesting um kind of dilemma to frame in a star warsy way Mm -hmm. yeah you know what's interesting though is like i feel like we are um way more forgiving uh like all of us including myself are way more forgiving of like because uh, a big thing in Star Wars is redemption, right? So if you're super evil, like there's like this thing where you can be redeemed and everybody will kind of go along with that, you know? But uh, it's like um, characters that are a little more, I mean, like it's pretty evil to make a clone army, you know what I mean? But like, mm. they're not Darth Vader, you know what I mean? But like, we, we don't question like, well, Darth Vader decided he'd be, you know, he'd kind of change his stripes or whatever. And like, that's cool. Cause he's, uh, turned his life around, you know, but then I feel like a lot of times, like I was watching the Halloween trailer, as you know, Ryan, and, mm-hmm. uh, the mm-hmm. boyfriend of, um, Laurie Strode's, uh, granddaughter, um, makes an appearance in that trailer. And I'm like, Oh, I'm ready for him to, you know what I mean? <laughs> Be like taken out because he yelled at her and threw her phone into, uh, into uh the punch at the prom you know mm. um and like i'm just like hate that dude because of just that scene, you know, yeah. <laughs> you're like yeah. gorged with a light tube by michael myers <laughs> well that wasn't him but yes but then it's like uh i don't know darth vader is super evil and yeah. uh you know i like it, i guess it's like maybe it has something to do with um uh you know you feel like you can see that someone has like the, the opportunity to be better or you know like the, the when they're more complex and you can see like the, the the positive elements of them but they do bad things then you know that's frustrating versus if you just see a character who's wearing a black helmet and running around with a red lightsaber and he does evil things it's like well that's what i expected him to do so i'm not angry mm-hmm. about it you know what i mean maybe that's what it is i don't know 
we're a little off topic though. Um, if you can believe it, like the uh, <laughs> Halloween kills trailer doesn't have that much to do with episode eight of the bad batch. I knew um, we would work it in somehow. <laughs> <laughs> it has been top of mind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's going to be really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other thing that um, is really kind of probably going to be part of every episode of the Bad Batch until it gets resolved is this whole thing about like what um, the Bad Batch should be doing, like what should their direction be. Hunter is kind of the leader in making the choices, and he's like, "Well, we need to make money. Let's smuggle these Imperial weapons back to Sid." But Echo and uh, I think even like Tech are a little bit like saying like, um, that's not really what we're like, what we should be doing. You know what I mean? Like we're soldiers. We should be fighting for the cause, not fighting to get paid, you know, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'll continue to be, uh, an issue that's explored. I'm sure until they end up joining Rex and probably Ahsoka and, uh, <laughs> Sagarera and, uh, become part of the rebellion. Um, because that's got to happen, the, I think. The Ahsoka inevitability of yeah. the show. Yeah. yeah. Uh, of all, all Dave All roads lead <laughs> to Ahsoka. Yes, that's true. Well, if Dave Filoni's driving or even, uh, uh, I don't know, um, helped, um, you know, plot the uh, the journey, then uh, mm-hmm. it's probably going to happen. Um, one other thing. I found affecting from this episode and then we'll move on to uh, episode nine. Um, there's a sequence where crosshair is on one side of the room, Hunter Omega, um, the bad batcher on the other side of the room. They're kind of talking to each other from a distance. Um, it's a showdown essentially. Right. And uh, both Hunter um, and Omega tell crosshair. I think Hunter tells crosshair he needs to wake up and Omega tells him very earnestly and with a lot of emotion tells him like, this isn't your fault. Like you can't control this, you know? Um, and, uh, I love that. Uh, I love that. And I, and I love the fact that he just doubles down and is like, Hey, take them out, you know, or, or take out Omega, um, in response to it. But that was, um, I thought a a great moment in this episode. Um, and another, another place where I was emotionally invested and where I thought like things were kind of ramping up and, uh, and becoming pretty interesting. Yeah, um, we didn't even, yeah, I guess there's probably more to say about, like, the their showdown with Crosshair, because, um, you know, that was definitely a thing that, um, you know, the series was building towards. Um, but, yeah, I think it kind of got overshadowed by the, the, the Cad Bane appearance, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Yeah, they like, you know, they have they have a showdown <laughs> with Crosshair, um, who is trying to kill them. Um, yeah. I think the other thing is that it's not totally new. Like, it's sort of something that happens every few episodes on some level, I feel like, right? Like, this isn't the first time they've had a showdown with Crosshair. Um, yeah. You know, so it's still, it's, it's, I mean, I think it's, impactful and uh and interesting and you know kind of emotional every time they do um this is probably only the second time i guess right since that they've like kind of um run into him again uh because i know they did at least one other time um right wasn't it just on on camino yeah wasn't that just in was that the first end of the first episode is that right okay yeah 
Okay. Maybe it's just that we as an audience have seen Crosshair since then. Because I think yeah. we have, right? Yeah, yeah. Because when, uh, when he did the, the murders in the woods. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, I, I just think like, especially Omega telling him, you know, like, you don't have to do this. It's not your fault. Um, mm-hmm. is, uh, is pretty powerful. And I also think it's a question that's still up in the air um, as far as the show goes, which I think is intriguing too. Yeah. All right. Well, why don't we jump into Dave's comments on episode seven and eight. So Dave sent us this message in sometime last week, or I mean sometime this week, but before episode nine aired. Um, So let's run through his comments here. Uh, Dave said that these last two episodes have been his favorite installments in the series thus far. He says one thing the series has done consistently is troll us into overthinking things instead of going with the most logical answer in front of us. Mm -hmm. While there are those who may find that annoying, I, for one, am glad they're going with a more simplistic take on things. There's no need to make everything a grand citizen scheme. I think, Mm -hmm. uh, I got to tell you, uh, well, if Dave is listening and hears this and, uh, I'll tell you, Ryan, um, I read this, uh, message and I was like, Hmm, Dave is so much smarter than me. Cause I don't know what that term means. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> I was like, who is this like 14th century philosopher that he's referencing? <laughs> I don't get it. And then I just realized earlier today, like, Oh, Sidious, like a yeah. Sidious in Sidious in scheme. I yeah. get it now. I like that. Yeah. I like that term a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I still think Dave is considerably smarter than me, but uh, oh, same. He, he didn't get me on this one. I mean, he did get me on this one, but yeah, I eventually did. figured it out. <laughs> 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 but yeah, <laughs> there's no need to make everything a grand Sidiousin scheme of multiple layers of beguile and intrigue. Of course, it was Rex to which the Martez sisters were talking. Of course, it was the Kaminoans who hired both Fennec and most likely Cad Bane. Um, yeah, I agree, except for, though, mm-hmm. I think it would have been pretty obvious for it to be Ahsoka that the Martez sisters were talking to also. Um, but either one are pretty straightforward. Um, so Dave continues that when the series was first announced, the one question I hoped they would explore was that of identity and purpose. Indeed, Rex was the one who hinted at that in the latter part of the Clone Wars series when he wondered what lay ahead for the clones when the war finished. Needless to say, the Bad Batch series has taken this question and run with it. And with each episode, we are given different uh, iterations of this existential discourse. While much of this soul searching is done through Hunter's eyes, asking tech would be pointless for he would probably start uh, spouting off lecture points on Rene Descartes. I, I do know that name, Dave. Mm. Uh, I do not think it is a coincidence that Echo is there to echo back that question and argue for the team to apply the skill set for which they were made in league with a new group that continues to hold true to the values of the Republic as they were originally created to serve and protect. Uh, yeah, I mean, well said, right? Because I do think uh, Echo is... Uh, Echo has the the correct perspective there. I mean, Hunter, you know, um, is uh, is a new father. You know what I mean? Essentially, right? Yeah. He's like newly tackling the concept of parenting. Um, so it's it's uh, admirable that he's putting um, Omega first in terms of like what his objectives are. But at the end of the day, uh, I think what Dave says here about you know them kind of serving their purpose by. Um, serving the Republic, 
uh, or well, the rebellion, um, the values of the Republic that are now kind of, um, amplified by the, uh, the rebellion makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so as the bad batch, this is Dave again, as the bad batch continue to grapple with their identity and sense of purpose, we see how the clones still in the service of the empire are losing their own sense of identity and truly being reduced to consumables with matching serial numbers. Uh, more on that in the interview with, um, uh, what is it? Jennifer Corbett, um, that I mentioned, uh, previously. And there's some discussion of that and how the uniforms change and things like that, uh, in that interview. Um, but, uh, yeah, consumables with matching serial numbers. It really shook me to hear one clone call out to another by number instead of by name. Granted, we saw this in episode four of the original trilogy. So we knew that was how the empire operates. What makes it so startling is the familiarity we have with the clone troopers after a seven-season series, which ended with nearly all of them being stripped of that individuality. Uh, Ryan, do you want to tackle this next section as it is uh, more your forte? Yeah, um, and I do just want to, um, you know, always uh, make Star Wars political and Mm. go back to, um, you know, the 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 whole like troops and clones um part of it and kind of um you know making them a number um not a person and it's something you know we see in you know the original trilogy we see it in the prequels we see it in uh force awakens um and you know obviously george lucas was um super influenced by uh the war in vietnam um when he was when he was making star wars and um you know that was there was you know a massive anti-war anti-war movement um that was happening within the united states and you know i think um obviously i wasn't born yet and i wasn't part of that but i you know one of the things that you know I just kind of associate with that anti-war movement is, you know, the arguments like you're not a person, you're just a number to, to like the U S military and stuff. And so I think that's just, you know, another interesting connection um, that it is something that just kind of comes, comes up again and again in, in star Wars. Mm. Yeah. Um, And then for this next part, um, Dave writes, just as I do with all my Star Wars viewing, I always do my second watch of every episode in Japanese. One subtle touch in the translation that I've enjoyed is how they translate defective uh, in Japanese. In the latest episode, we hear Rampart dismiss the Bad Batch as defective and having no value, even though the Kaminoans agree argue that they have a valuable skill the japanese word here is and he included the kanji here uh furio the character uh fu is used as a negating agent so when combined with dio which signifies good we literally get not good there are a number of connotations to the word furio 
in Japanese. One is indeed defective. However, the word is also used as a noun for delinquent, unruly, badly behaved, uh, basically miscreants that go against the grain and buck the rules. The English is very limiting, keeping us stuck on the idea of defective, while the Japanese word in the translation opens the door to so many interpretations. I tend to think the translator took the liberty to lead the Japanese audience to think of the latter meanings and thus by extension help reinforce the image of the Bad Batch bucking the mores the empire is trying to impose on them. Hmm. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, yeah. And I mean, like, I think that that whole kind of concept of uh, defective, um, you know, and the Bad Batch, you know, sort of being uh, other than the rest of the clones is uh, is like kind of core to the concept of the show, right? Into their mm-hmm. story. So um, that is uh, really interesting. And I, yeah, I think it totally makes sense that uh, if that opportunity is there, um in the Japanese language, or if the Japanese language, I guess, kind of presents uh, more opportunities in that way, then, uh, you know, that's, uh, sounds like, um, pretty good writing on the part of the, uh, what localization, uh, the Japanese localization of the episode. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, this is really fascinating stuff. What Dave is talking about here. Um, as you know, someone who myself, like I'm kind of casually familiar with, um, you know, the idea of, uh, you know, film and video game localization and translation and kind of the difference between the two. Um, and so it's really interesting to see how, you know, it works in reverse. Um, and just because, um, you know, the, the Japanese language is so different than ours, especially the written language, um, you know, and coming and especially, you know, coming from, um, you know, these essentially like Chinese characters um, in, in the written form of kanji, um, you know, it, there's just a lot of, a lot of ways things can go and a lot of different um, you know, meanings and interpretations. Um, and I think here is like an example of like some really, uh, thoughtfully, um, obscure, uh, localization here. Um, and I, um, I, I do wonder, um, how Japanese Star Wars fans are kind of responding to this show and like what their interpretations of these characters and the story is. Cause it's, um, you know, they're, uh, giving them a lot to chew on. Mm. Ryan, I would love for you to read the last paragraph that Dave, uh, wrote as well. I'd love <laughs> you to read that one. I feel like I'm in trouble. Um, I, I, <laughs> Dave says, I am so glad they brought Cad Bane back and enjoyed how they recycled the unused shootout between him and Boba Fett, only replacing Boba with Hunter. I still can't believe we have Cad Bane back. Simply glorious. 
There you go. Okay. There you go. Like I yeah. said, lots of people love Cad Bane. I don't. It's cool. Uh, yes. Well, thank you as always, Dave, for that, uh, thoughtful message. Um, all right, let's go on to episode Mm -hmm. nine and talk about, uh, today's, um, new developments in the story. Uh, this show continues to pick up basically immediately where the previous episode left off. So, um, there's no, you know, waiting weeks to return to story threads really. Um, or, you know, I guess, I guess they kind of do that a little bit with like Rampart and the Kaminoans and stuff. But as mm-hmm. far as the, the A plot goes like, boom, they are just on it moment to moment. Uh, every episode kind of picks up where the last one left off. So this one opens up with crosshair bandages on his head and all, uh, chasing the bad batch, um, in, uh, in a, you know, aerial combat and uh, they're reluctant to kind of make the jump to hyperspace to get away from Crosshair and the uh, uh, and his squad um, because they're like, well, we can't leave without Omega. But uh, I think it's Tech who points out, you know, hey, they already made the jump. Like, they're gone. So um, mm-hmm. sitting around here and getting blown up is not going to uh, help the cause at all. So um, they do end up making the jump. So uh, Cad Bane and Omega are on the way to a, uh, an established kind of drop off place so they can, you know, make the, uh, so he can deliver Omega to the Kaminoans. Um, and the bad batch just kind of have to like hang around, um, hoping to, uh, to find her. Um, and, uh, in the meantime, Omega escapes from her prison cell. This was a uh, very obvious how this was going to shake out. This, the moment this little, uh, droid of Cad Bane's was, you know, had a damaged leg or whatever and was having trouble fixing it. It's like, okay, this is perfect because Omega's mm-hmm. going to use that. Trick the droid into uh, helping her escape. She does fix the droid's leg, um, which I expected she would. Um, and then I was kind of wondering, Ryan, I don't know if, how you felt, but I was kind of wondering, is she going to like turn him off or is she going to be too kind hearted to do that? But nope. uh, of course <laughs> she does shut him down. Um <laughs> She does yeah. shut him shut him down. She even delivers some like drop kicks to his face and stuff later in the episode. So she's not mm-hmm. too precious about the droid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Got to survive. It's a tough yep. galaxy. That is that is true. That is true. So she escaped. I'm sure Cad Bane would agree. Mm, oh, absolutely, he would. Yeah, even Fennec Shand would, as she tells. Yeah. Uh, she tells Omega later, "You can't trust anyone but yourself," or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so, uh, Omega does escape and then, uh, she is frantically searching for her communicator so she can get a hold of the bad batch. Um, something that's really interesting though, that develops, uh, in this part of the episode is, uh, we find out that, um, Lama Su, um, tells, uh, Nala say like, you can't go because now say is like well I'll, I'll bring the credits to cad bane and i'll pick up omega and lama sue's like no you can't do that you're too attached to omega you know your personal attachment to her is too dangerous already or something like that mm-hmm. um so then lama sue sends tone we instead um did we know like i i felt like this morning when i was watching the episode i was like oh that's news to me i didn't realize there was like a kaminoan who had a particularly soft spot for um for Omega, but I guess if I went back and watched previous episodes, it's probably seated in there already, right? Yeah, because they're they're always giving like that kind of concerned look <laughs> um, when uh, when 
Mama Sue is um, getting okay. a, a little nasty. Okay, see, I think I was so pro Kaminoan before that I was just like, oh, they're all concerned or they're all, you know, whatever. <laughs> they're all on the same page. I don't know. And I think I was just thinking of it as like, well, you know, we have two, we have a binary situation here. You know, you've got like the Empire who thinks the Clone Force 99 are disposable and we have the Kaminoans and they value the clones, you know, but obviously it's not really that simple. Um, as Lama Sue is the only Kaminoan, it seems, who... uh who really has Omega's interest in mind, right? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Um, so yeah, Lama Sue is like, nope, we're going to terminate Omega after we retrieve her genetic material. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I don't get the science of cloning like so much because the whole thing uh, ostensibly is like, well, she's alive and we need her living genetic material because um, they already had like, Django Fett's genetic material, right? So um, if it was just like something you could download or put in a bottle or something, you know what I mean? Like they should have it. Um, Or conversely, if you need to keep her alive, then his plan of like just get her genetic material and then murder her doesn't really make sense either. So um, I'm sure there's a technical aspect to this cloning thing I'm not picking up on, but Yeah, so, I mean, I think, like, the big kind of revelation we get here is that um, she, that Omega has uh, pure first-generation DNA. She's a a pure genetic clone, uh, which there are only two of. Um, Yeah, and you like to trash talk tech, but tech is the one who figured that out, Ryan. Well, the writers figured it out <laughs> of the television show, and Tech oh. just uh, regurgitated it in a yeah. nasally voice. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, yeah, um, so basically, um, so basically, Omega is Boba Fett's sister. Yeah, right. Basically, is that what's happening here? Pretty much, because like Boba Fett is unaltered because they didn't give Boba Fett like any of the programming or whatever to uh control his like behavior or mentality or whatever personality and they also didn't give boba fett the like aging stuff where he Mm -hmm. would age double fast Mm -hmm. um so i would assume that omega is the same thing right so Mm -hmm. yeah i mean omega would be just as much Django's child as actually as i say that it's like that's totally not true um I mean, I think we could think of Omega as Boba Fett's sister, but I was like, oh, well, Omega's just as much Django's child as, uh, or yeah, Django's child as Boba, but that's not really true because Boba fathered and raised and cared for um, Boba Fett and didn't do those things for Omega. You know what I mean? So it's like they have a genetic relationship, but they didn't actually have a, um, you know, she was like... <laughs> He, I don't even know that he would. He wouldn't even have known about her, right? Yeah, I don't know. This is a, it's a good uh, nature versus nurture um, mm-hmm. discussion here. Like, I don't know, and maybe, the concept maybe, of like found family versus, you know, yeah, like and family and that kind of thing. Which with the concept of Star Wars and other places, yeah. Also, the concept of everyone's just a bounty hunter now. Um, maybe, maybe Omega's going to just end up being a bounty hunter. 
<laughs> she's gonna she's gonna show up in War of the Bounty Hunters final splash page of issue four. Well, I mean, here's where mine was my mind was going. Um if if you can believe it, I didn't start thinking about the War of the Bounty Hunters. Uh mm. but I did think like this makes it likely to me, I think, that we'll have what Daniel Logan back as Boba Fett in this show as a young Boba Fett. Um I think you know that would be pretty interesting and pretty likely based on mm. this development. And then I also started to think, Ryan, and I'm sure I'm not the only one, but I started to think, could um, Omega appear in the bu- in the the book of Boba Fett? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because I feel like we've got some trans media, you know, storytelling happening here potentially, right? Yeah, I mean that is if she doesn't like bite it at the end of the show. Uh, yes, yes. This, this show is going to, uh, kill Omega, you think, huh? Hey, it's possible. No way. <laughs> Anything's possible. They, they killed Ton Wei. Yeah, that's true. That's true. One of the uh, most iconic characters from Attack Dad, of the Ton Wei will never be here again. It's no. awful. It is, it's very sad. Dad, Ton Wei's <laughs> here. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's true. bad. It's true. Yeah, no, it is bad. I was a big Tom Lee fan. Yeah. Um, but uh, Omega is about as safe as any television character has ever been, Ryan, from from dying, um, yeah. at least in the series. Um, maybe they'd kill her in the book of Boba Fett. I don't know why you're so bloodthirsty, you know? Um, you know, uh, rooting for this boyfriend to get killed in Halloween Kills and now rooting for... <laughs> hey, that's you. Oh, but okay. Star Wars is tragedy. Yeah, yeah, it, it is, but not if you're a. Okay, I'm not even gonna get like mm-hmm. everybody says it. I, I'm not even mm-hmm. gonna go to that route. It's mm-hmm. it's it's boring. It's cliche. It's tired. We all know it. It's not gonna happen. So mm-hmm. we'll just leave it at that. Um, okay. Well, um, yeah. I mean, that's a big reveal, and so it's a big reveal for us as an audience. It's a big reveal in terms of like the canon and you know all that kind of stuff but i think it's a big reveal uh, emotionally for omega as well and there was some great stuff in this episode i thought in terms of um you know her kind of uh interior life and that sort of thing like there's a shot where she ends up in that room with the clone tanks where she's just like staring reflectively at the tanks and like kind of making that connection you know um mm-hmm. between you know who she is and where she came from and in 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 those uh clones and so i thought that was you know pretty powerful and then the discussion with hunter at the end of the episode too you know why do they why do they why is this happening to me i think that's what she says why is this happening you know mm-hmm. um big existential questions and uh and pretty uh i think pretty emotional emotional stuff if you're uh if you care about omega and i think most people who enjoy this show do you know <laughs> what are you implying <laughs> no no ryan no no i wasn't implying that that you hate the kaminoans and uh, omega and everything else in the bad batch i was just saying if anybody has a human beating heart then they mm. would care about omega and they would be moved by omega you know being placed in this position i i care about her getting into some sweet mando armor <laughs> and <laughs> hunting some uh some some bounties yeah okay all right great what about mando armor and a cowboy hat (laughs) 
boom. <laughs> 18 Black Series figures, go. <laughs> uh, they, I mean, that would sell like crazy. That, that would actually be a huge, yeah, <laughs> merchandising boon. That's true. Um, well, Omega is Boba Fett's sister, um, is an unaltered clone, and also... Mm. Um, quite wily uh, as she does escape first from her cell, then escapes from Cad Bane, uh, who is chasing her around on this station. Um, as mm-hmm. we mentioned, um, in doing so, he catches her, um, starts to bring her back, um, but comes across the corpse of uh, Tanwi. We hardly knew you. Mm. It's terrible. Um, and that is, of course, courtesy of Fennec Shand. And that's when the... Uh, the relatively rare event in Star Wars recently of a uh, bounty hunter showdown takes place <laughs> there between uh, Cad Bane and Fennec Shand. Um, but uh, I, I do think pretty great direction in terms of the action sequences in this episode and the last uh, last week's episode. Uh, very cinematic mm-hmm. and uh, very effective action, um, you know, taking place in these episodes. Uh, I think it's really good. Um, so we get this battle scene, of course, uh, Omega gets away. That's when she ends up in the room with the clone tanks. We talked about that. Um, although I was really hoping, I don't know about you, but I was really hoping for like, uh, a close up or, um, uh, some Snokeism happening in the yeah. tank, you know, I was just going to say that I was hoping for a Snoke to fall out I, once well, that I glass mean, cracked. I don't really know what fell out, but it was like a very like X Files looking alien. But I think it was supposed to be a Kaminoan, wasn't it? Oh, really? I was thinking, why would Kaminoans be cloning themselves? That's weird. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think, well, I mean, well, why not? I guess, yeah. Also, if you have the tech, um, yeah, maybe that was Tan Wei coming back. No, I don't think it was Tan Wee. Um, but I was thinking it was like a proto Snoke. You know what I mean? Snoke when it hasn't been in the vat quite as long or something. Ooh, not it enough time like, in the oven. <laughs> well, or maybe the right amount of time in the oven. I think Snoke might have been in there too long. Um, <laughs> I mean, cosmetically, Snoke is not living his best life. You know what I mean? Um, let's just say that. I think that's not too offensive. Um, I don't know. The robe, though. That gold robe <laughs> is literally all you need. <laughs> but this thing like looked like smooth and didn't have like a big crack in its forehead, but like yeah. vaguely mm. the shape of a Snoke, I think, don't you? Oh my goodness. And we'll have to see what Wikipedia and, and the internet <laughs> say about this. Yeah, um, I'll have to watch the Star Wars Explained on this mm. one. Yeah, that would be good. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, so and that was a, uh, uh, an intrepid or a, a, a resourceful thing for Omega to do uh, to knock that tank over onto um, Fennec Shand uh, and uh, and escape again. This time she makes it out to an escape pod, flies away, um, and uh, the escape pod um, for some reason fails and is going to crash. But then the Bad Batch show up. Um, and uh, rescue her. Of course, it's Wrecker who reaches his hand down. No, it's not Wrecker. It's Hunter, isn't it? That's Wrecker. Ooh. Is it Wrecker? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. Yeah, Wrecker. It, and he's in the he's in the Bulio position, <laughs> L- looking looking down the circle. <laughs> it's like poetry uh, rhymes. <laughs> oh man, um, that needs to be a yoga pose. I feel like the Bulio, you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> you just stand at the top of like a manhole and like would, reach down into a subway. Would or, we call it the Bulio or would we call it the win the war? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, let's transition from downward dog into win the war. <laughs> I think. Okay. I like that. <laughs> I like that. Uh, yeah. Um, so, uh, my, my, my thought on this, it was a, a nice moment, right? Like she's rescued. Um, mm-hmm. as I said, there's a negative percent chance that she will die in this show. So I wasn't really worried <laughs> for her safety. Right. Um, but, um, I was thinking like, it's going to be Fennec Shand who, who rescues her, you know? Um, and, and not for altogether altruistic purposes, but that would be, I thought that would have been interesting because it's like, okay, she's going to crash. Um, she is rescued. She's saved, but she's not safe, you know, and she's Mm -hmm. not rescued by somebody who has her best interests at heart. I really thought that's where it was going to go. And when it opened, um, and it was Wrecker in the Bulio pose, as you say, I was like, ah, all right. I mean, it's cool, but it just, it was a little disappointing, I think partially, and I think we talked about this on the last episode, but it, it kind of feels like things get resolved so quickly in this show mm-hmm. all the time. Um, and I, I do like like the forward momentum from each one episode to the next. And I like how I like the kind of simplistic approach to storytelling where it's like, we're going to pick up exactly where we left off and we're just going to keep like, you know, pass the baton on like one step forward every episode. You know, I, mm-hmm. I do enjoy that. Um, I found that, I don't know. Like I just, I think it's worked really well, but, uh, the opposite side of that is, is kind of feeling like, man, like this could have been juicier, but instead Mm -hmm. it's like already over, you know? Yeah. I think it, if what I was kind of thinking like, um, with, cause I definitely like also was like, Oh wow. They, uh, they solved that quickly. Um, (laughs) kind of, you know, kind of thing. And like it, but then, like, I think back to, you know, end of season two of Mandalorian, where, like, that felt intense. <laughs> um, I don't know, like, when when Grogu was, um, you know, kidnapped and, you know, you had you had Din, like, up there being like, this child means more to me than you will ever know. And, like it's like goosebump city and like it was you know that whole rescue um operation was like so intense um mm. and then like here it's just like oh don't worry about it <laughs> it's cool yeah like we're just gonna float in space to and meet up with each other again just rendezvous yeah. here um yeah. kind of thing but um also like it's fine um too like yeah. i think um you know it it i mean it never really like i don't really feel like a strong sense of peril in this show like ever um and i like even when um you know cadbane kidnapped omega at the end of uh last week's episode like i wasn't like waking up in the middle of the night in like cold sweats like worried about it like what was going to happen to Mm -hmm. omega um and you know i think it's just like a just a bouncier approach um to these kind of things in this show um but you mentioned um like what if it was fennec shand who was the (laughs) quote-unquote rescuer um mm-hmm. here mm-hmm. and like yeah i wanted just to take a moment and 
um, ask you, like, what are, how do you, how are you feeling about Fennec Shand here? Um, because I think, like, you know, kind of where we land with that character at the end of um, Mando season two is um, she's kind of a baby face in, you know, in wrestling terms, but she's uh, definitely got a bit of more of an edge to her. Um, I feel in this show, which is interesting because like, this is the kids show. Um, but you know, she, she kills Tan Wei <laughs> and, uh, she's also like really relentless and hurts a bunch of people, um, in, in the show. How are you feeling about her character here? Um, I have not found her character super interesting in Bad Batch. Like, I think the performance is really good. And I think that the, I do think there's like a, uh, I don't know, in terms of the writing, like she's not like a generic, uh, you know, bounty hunter character or anything like that, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And and so I, I I don't know, but, but like, I, I don't necessarily agree with the whole babyface take on Fennec Shand either, even in Mandalorian season two, because, well, I mean, I guess, but it's just like the way that show ends with them, like, you know, uh, taking over the throne from, uh, from um, Bib Fortuna and just sitting on like Jabba's throne or whatever. It's kind of like mm-hmm. one of those things where I'm like, well, where's this going? You know what I mean? So I don't know. I mean, I think that the, like with any of these bounty hunter characters, Boba Fett, you know, Boba Fett is, you know, obviously like a, a good guy in, uh, in season two of the Mandalorian. Right. Um, but there's just always going to be, I don't know. You have like a Han Solo character where it's like, Oh, he's a smuggler, but you know, he's always going to do the right thing, you know? And like, I think the bounty hunters, uh, sort of by definition of like what their their role in Star Wars is, you never maybe know kind of what their true intentions are. Or I think a character like Boba Fett, and probably this extends to Fennec Shand, um, you know, if you could just always count on them to do the right thing, they kind of lose uh, part of their intrigue. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know. Um, I think she's been okay, but uh, I. I I think mainly the reason I find her as interesting as I do, or that I um, enjoy her as much as I do in, in bad batches, Ming Nguyen in the performance um, more so than anything else about it. Yeah. I think like we're kind of seeing like (laughs) we're seeing like pieces of a character arc, but we're only seeing like small slivers of it across, you know, these two shows set in completely different timelines and like, this is a character who was just recently introduced to Star Wars and hasn't, as far as I know, hasn't appeared anywhere outside of Bad Batch and Mandalorian. Um, so, like, we're this is kind of all we have to go off of. Um, and I think it's just interesting. Um, I think she's kind of a... Um, I don't know. I would definitely say she's more... Um, more of a more of a face um Mm -hmm. more of a good guy um by the end of mandalorian but compared to like where she is here and i wonder you know what i mean i guess even when she's like introduced in mandalorian um she's not like very good (laughs) (laughs) um like she's she's kind of a bad guy um 
in, she's an antagonist in that show when she when her character is introduced in that like weird <laughs> bad episode uh yeah with uh toro callahan uh mm-hmm. um but uh yeah so i don't know i think it's just it's just interesting and i'm like and i i kind of i don't know i i kind of like that they're they have like a vision for her in this show and like her character is going to be different um, in like book of Boba Fett um, because it was already kind of different through like the few appearances she had in um, Mandalorian. So I think, um, I think she's interesting. Um, But I also think kind of the highlight is what Ming-Na Wen brings to it. Um, Mm -hmm. I think just the, the, the delivery of those lines and just the presence of the character, in addition to like her being like pretty cool looking without like trying to be cool looking. (laughs) Um, if that makes sense. Um, it's not a super obvious or like, yeah, blatant kind of design. It's like more, um, reserved, but still looks cool. Yeah, and then I think also, like, um, you know, Ming-Na Wen as an actor is just, it's very famous for her, like, her stunt work and her, you know, action, combat, choreography and stuff. And I think, like, in episode nine in particular, I think um, just the, the fight choreography, just, it looked so awesome. Um, but n- they didn't go overboard um with like the animation um because like obviously you can do a lot more with animation and fight choreography than you Mm. can do in you know with real people (laughs) um and but they like it all still felt believable but it like it just looked super good um and i love how like um i don't even remember i think it was when maybe when Omega was escaping um, and like going down the ladder and you could just see like the silhouettes of Cad Bane and Fennec Shand like fighting. And it was still like really well choreographed and it was like a tiny drop in the background. Um, Hmm. I just, I really appreciated that attention to detail. Yeah. I didn't notice that, but I like that idea from a, yeah, from a cinematography perspective, I guess, or Mm -hmm. You know, that kind of thing to have that happening as a silhouette. That is cool. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, Fennec is is working for Nalise too, rather than working for like um I guess uh uh Lama Su. Um mm-hmm. so that kind of positions her in a little more in babyface territory as well, right? Because yeah. you know, she's working for the Kaminoan who actually does care about um, you know, Omega. And uh you know, Nalise tells Fennec um, that uh, as long as um, Omega is away from Lama Sue, you know, it's it's cool because Fennec has to what, contact Nalise and be like, yeah, they got, you know, they got Omega, the Bad Batch. She's back with the Bad Batch. And, and uh, Nalise is like, well, that's fine as long as, you know, she's not in danger of being returned to return to Lama Sue. So, mm-hmm. um I'm sure for Fennec Shand, it was all about the the bounty or, you know, the job or whatever, but um, she is, uh, 
working for somebody who's looking out for Omega, at least to a certain extent. So, um, and then the, the kind of last thing with the episode is, um, Hunter making this promise to Omega. Um, because like I was saying earlier, Omega's like, why is this happening to me? And like, I'll never be safe and that kind of thing. And, and Hunter's like, no, 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 we're going to keep you safe and we're not going to let them have you or hurt you. And, you know, she's like, well, you can't fight all of them, you know, like, yeah, you guys are, you know, cool eighties cartoon character (laughs) soldiers, but you can't fight all of them. You can't keep me safe from the whole galaxy, uh, basically. And Hunter promises her, you know, she's like, I don't want to. And I I found this pretty moving too. Like, I don't want to end up like, I forget what she's, I think she says, I don't want to end up an experiment or I don't want, you know, Mm -hmm. something like that. But basically she doesn't want to be, find herself in the position that that creature in the clone tank was in. Um, Mm -hmm. and Hunter promises that that won't happen to Omega. Um, what did you think of that line, Ryan? Cause I was of two minds. My one mind was like, well, that pretty much guarantees something like that will happen to Omega. (laughs) But then my other mind was like, yeah, but not in this show, probably not in this show. Like probably, you know, in a different kind of show that would indicate that, but in this show, Maybe it's just like a sweet, you know, kind of moment between them and it's true and, and they won't ever, you know, let her end up like that. what do you think? Yeah. I mean, my opinion on what they're setting up is a heroic sacrifice by Hunter to save Omega. You keep um, taking these big swings. You keep I taking keep these taking big them. swings with these predictions. You think you're, you're bloodthirsty. You know, <laughs> I just want all cartoon characters dead. All cartoon um, characters and all horror movie boyfriends you want them dead. Okay, that was okay. Um, no, I don't ever want anyone to be killed in a horror movie. That's disgusting. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, I, th- I there's got to be a body count <laughs> um, to the show. I think it's happening. I think. Um, but like, you know, I keep it keeps kind of changing how I think it's going to shake out. Um, I think um, I don't know. But it also like with these shows, like they do kind of telegraph these things like you knew you knew Kanan was going to bite it like at the start of season four. <laughs> like you, you knew but that I wasn't was bloodthirsty coming. for it like you were, Ryan. You know what I mean? You were. <laughs> On this very show, you know what I mean? Yeah. Did we do this show when Rebels was on? I can't remember. Probably. Probably. I'm just messing with you. Anyways, but yeah, 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 yeah. You're right. That no, was, I mean that it's it's not. Uh, but you know, people move on to the the unifying force or whatever. Um, like death is not that big of a deal in Star Wars, really. Um, you know, it always you know inspires characters. Sometimes characters can like come hang out again. Um, it it doesn't it doesn't feel like a strong sense of finality um, it, as it does in like other things. Um, what, if we, what if you're a clone who's never had a family, and then the first mm. father figure that you have in your life, you know, some guy on the internet is 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 trying to have him killed. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that, that's. <laughs> that that's the thing it's like sure you know it, i wasn't that heartbroken when greedo was shot in the most eyes mm. cantina but like this is a little different because you know omega is in some ways our point of view character for this show and the relationship between her and hunter is pretty significant and so mm-hmm. 
Yeah, man. I don't know. Well, I don't know. Ask ask Ezra Bridger how that feels. <laughs> okay. Touche. 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 Yeah. But I don't know. Uh, the Grand Inquisitor decapitated a couple of uh, underlings in the first season of that show, you know? Like, mm. I, I think that show was a little heavier than this one, but... We'll see. We will see. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you think there could be... You think it could be like Hunter... <laughs> is making a promise he can't keep. I think, no, I think he'll keep that promise, but at the oh, expense of his life. but he'll die in doing so. Yeah. Okay. I see. Okay. That, and that, that, that feels like a solid arc for that character. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Um, cool. Well, uh, I think we can probably wrap up the conversation about um, Bad Batch there, although you stealthily dropped mm-hmm. another breaking news item into our show notes. So we'll talk about that quickly before we wrap up the show. Mm -hmm. Um, Tell me about this stealth news drop that you uh, uncovered somehow, Ryan, while we were recording the show. Um, Huh? Wow. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So uh, this was just, just popped up on Twitter um, from slash film. Um, Patty Jenkins, star Wars movie, rogue squadron has found a writer. Uh, Matthew Robinson, who co-wrote and co-directed The Invention of Lying alongside Ricky Gervais, has been tapped to write Rogue Squadron, Lucasfilm's next Star Wars film. Um, And this dude uh, has written uh, the family adventure film Monster Trucks. Hmm. Oh, I remember that one. Like, not mm-hmm. seeing it, but I remember it existing. Yeah. And Dora and the Lost City of Gold, which I think is actually supposed to be good, um, from, like, people, like, 10 years younger than us, yeah. or 15 years younger than us, who, like, grew up with Dora the Explorer. Grew up with Dora, um, right? Yeah. Like, I've I've heard, like, a lot of millennials, <laughs> like, super into that movie. So, uh, that's cool. Um, and he was one of the... Um, writers of the sequel to edge of tomorrow um and something called love and monsters so yep he now the 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 sequel to edge of tomorrow has not been made yet or released yet right i don't think that exists yet yeah maybe i don't know yeah okay so I was thinking you might know a little bit about this character, uh, Matthew Robinson, but it doesn't sound like you're really familiar with any of his work. No, but it looks like he's worked on like a lot of like some kids stuff, some adaptations because uh, Live, Die, Repeat and Repeat is um, it's an adaptation of a manga, I think. Um, oh, he's working on a remake of little shop of horrors mm-hmm. so a lot of like i don't know remakes licensed adaptations type thing um hmm. that he's worked on but what i think is interesting about this um so yeah i don't really have like i can't really like judge his work or if he's going to be a good fit for this because i've never seen any of his movies um but what i think is interesting about this is like that he was announced as the writer for this Rogue Squadron film um, after 
the writer of the Taika Waititi film mm. was announced. That's true. So, and maybe it's like, th- this is just the rate that we're getting this information. Um, and like, you know, the projects could be further along, but it's like, it, it just seemed like kind of weird to me that like, this is the next Star Wars film and it's, um, you know, it's supposed to start shooting uh, next year. And um, like, we're just getting the writer now or, you know, maybe, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's just weird. Cause like the, the Taika Waititi f- film seemed like so far in the distance. And so, yeah, I don't know, but things are at different stages of production and conceptualizing and everything. So I guess it kind of makes sense. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that is interesting. Uh, I would say the one, kind of uh, addendum I would make to that is that um, this is not official. This is sources tell the Hollywood reporter. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, that could be sources from within Lucasfilm. Um, It could be, it could be any number of sources. I don't know how it all works. Uh, Lucasfilm had no comment is what the Hollywood reporter says. Um, That doesn't necessarily mean, I mean, it's probably true, right? I would imagine it's true. Um, very likely to be true, but I guess just to the question of like, Hey, this was announced. I mean, no matter what, whoever's writing the rogue squadron movie will be announced after the writer of, uh, of Taika's movie was announced. Right. Because, mm-hmm. um, that's already happened and this hasn't yeah. yet, but, um, yeah, it's just interesting. Cause it's like, it's not even, it's probably not anyways, Lucasfilm deciding to announce this now. Um, but more so like it leaked to, the Hollywood reporter. You know? Right. Um, and I think sometimes they do leak things to the Hollywood reporter or to various trades like that, but I don't know why they would leak like the author of a film, you know, the scriptwriter of a film. That seems like the kind of thing you put out on star Wars.com. Yeah. Um, Cause either it's happening or it's not, you know, I don't know. Um, I, I doubt they're like putting this out on the Hollywood reporter, hoping to, uh, hoping to, see what people think and then maybe they'll keep them or they won't, you know, <laughs> right. I mean? which is like, I think more of the reason they do, they leak stuff sometimes is to judge, you know, kind of take the temperature of public opinion maybe, or I don't really? know. Like that. You think that happens? Yeah, I do. I huh. do actually. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was thinking like maybe, are you being sarcastic? I can't tell if you're being sarcastic. No, I'm uh, no, I was not being sarcastic. Like I, I don't know. I guess I have too much faith in the institutions. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> I I mean, I was just thinking like they don't, you know, they've kind of like learned their lesson about announcing things too early and then like projects like not coming together the way they want. Um, And especially with scripts, um, which uh, don't always, you know, meet the vision of people at Lucasfilm. Um, And then there's the awkward part of being like, "Eh, actually we have a new writer here now. Mm. Um, So that's maybe why they hold out on announcing these things. Yeah. Wait, did I say, no, it wasn't the writer of the Taika Waititi movie. Taika Waititi is the writer of the Taika Waititi movie. No, no, he's co-writing. He's co-writing it with the woman who wrote, um, what's the name of that movie that 1919, uh, that, 
that Sam Mendes movie that just won oh, like, some Oscars and stuff. He is co-writing that film. With okay, so yes, I had that, but also crisscrossed in my head was the um, Kevin Feige movie. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's also what I was thinking of. Okay. Yeah, I was, but which it was also announced. Yeah, that because it's the um, it's the Loki guy. But was that announced, or was that also just something we found out? We I talked about it in the last episode, so I don't remember. But I don't remember either. Go listen to our oh, last episode. No, you know what it was. I think he he was asked about it and said like, "Oh yeah, you know, Star Wars is this or that or whatever." But I don't remember if I don't think like Lucasfilm ever said that that was happening. Right. Okay. But the, they were just like, "We're going to do a movie with Kevin Feige or whatever." But you know, that's about it. I think. And then people kind of talked about it a little bit or whatever it was out there discuss in the discussion or whatever in in very you know various ways maybe maybe kevin feige mentioned him or just you know whatever it was like he's kind of working with kevin feige on a bunch of stuff so i don't think lucasfilm ever put out a big press release. no they did not yeah but that's like but that's another one that's like even further out that we got the in some capacity we got the writer um before well, so we just found out about this movie existing at all six months ago. Um, at that time, the director, Patty Jenkins, was still finishing up Wonder World or Wonder Woman 1984, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, probably it's not too far in development, or at least it wasn't then. Um, but yeah, it, it is. It's one of those things like, did this dotted line gets signed like yesterday and that's why it's leaking now or has this person been writing this movie for three months but it's just now kind of leaking to the press like who knows right um we don't we don't know too much about it but i would hope that uh that there's been some (laughs) some work being done for a while now but I, i don't know yeah um but also like there's these things are being worked on and these are the people working on them as of, you know, this recording, but Mm -hmm. these things also change, um, as we've found out many, many times in the past five years. Yeah. Yeah. And they only need like a year for post-production. So this movie's not supposed to come out until the end of 2023. Mm -hmm. Um, and like certainly like Star Wars movies have been filmed, you know, kind of finished filming like around a year before they come out, you know, uh, a year to 15 months or something like that. So, they could probably not start filming. I mean, I bet they won't start filming um, the movie for close to a year. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) I I don't know. I don't make movies. Well, who knows? We'll see. But, Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, it is going to sneak up quicker than we're thinking. Cause I'm like, Oh, December 22nd, 2023. That's like super far away. It's two and a half years. You know, that's not that long. So that's a lifetime lately. (laughs) Uh, yeah, think of, think enough. of what was happening two and a half years ago from today. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> life was different. That's true. Mm-hmm. That is true. All right. Well, um, speaking of things that um, go on for a lifetime, we could probably <laughs> wrap up the show here, Ryan. Mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. think this episode, but it has been action packed. So thanks for uh, being here and and thanks for listening. Um, if you want to track down more of what we do, listen to previous episodes, read some blog posts, mostly from Ryan. 
um, and uh, all that kind of thing. You can find everything that we do over at blockaderunnerpodcast.com. If you would like to message the show, uh, share your thoughts on any of these topics or, uh, um, you know, all things Star Wars, you can email the show blockaderunnerpodcast at gmail.com. Um, or uh, the show is on Twitter at Blockade Run. Ryan, you are on Twitter at? Vyamalay, V-A-Y-A-M-A-L-A-Y. So thanks so much for listening, and we'll be back next week with another episode of the Blockade Runner podcast. We are all the Republic. <laughs>